Good morning. Last week we started with reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'd like to do so again this morning. In 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16, we read, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Good morning. These words are as important for us today as 2,000 years ago. The question is, how do we do it? How do we respond with gentleness and reverence? To those that are slandering you and treating you unjustly, how do you keep your focus on what is important and do what is right when your emotions may be the complete opposite? Today is week two of looking to discovering your story. We're looking yet again to Acts 26, but this time not just reading it through, but taking breaks for contemplation. Are we taking time to expound, to give commentary upon the ideas we see in this scripture? Acts 26, this great telling of Paul's testimony before King Agrippa, Festus, Bernice, and possibly hundreds others. Before proceeding, I've asked someone you all know well to share their testimony, their story. Mr. Lee McMiniman, would you please come up? Thank you, Lee, for sharing your testimony, your story this morning. And as we get back to our message, I'd like to say our stories, our testimonies are powerful. Not because of what we have done, but what God has done for us. God is a master storyteller, and he is, wait, he is writing a story with your life. Let me say that again. God is a master storyteller, and he is writing a story with your life. A powerful, life-transforming story and God wants you to share it. As you share, remember that details matter. Details matter for your story and Paul's as we proclaim the great and powerful message of God's power to gracefully save all from the bondage of sin. Yes, details matter. That's a big idea today, a big idea. We are going to look to a lot of detail from Paul's story, his testimony. When discovering your stories, though, don't forget the details. But in those details, make sure Christ your Lord is honored and glorified. Your reason to hope is proclaimed. And the good news that salvation from sin was not just for you, but available to, available to all through Christ. And deliver this all in love with gentleness and respect. As we read today, I want you to consider this greater big idea today. This greater big idea, which is, which is somewhat of a summarized statement of what you just saw. You see... Paul had a great ability to fulfill what Peter later wrote and what we started off reading today. He would honor Christ, he would share the hope he had, and do all of this in love, with gentleness and respect. As you discover and share your stories, you should strive to do the same. Here in Acts 26, we have Paul's testimony before King Agrippa, his story. This is one of the most comprehensive testimonies or stories of his conversion that Paul gives 
and therefore a good model for us to follow when we tell others what Jesus has done in our lives. As we read, also remember that this is not so much a trial as much as a proclamation of the gospel in Paul's life. Paul is not so much making a defense for his freedom as much as proclaiming the freedom he already had through Jesus' death and resurrection. He, Paul, is trying to win men for Christ. Again, Paul is not on trial here. Please understand this. Paul had appealed to Caesar, King Agrippa, Festus. Neither could condemn him. But King Agrippa still wanted to hear of this man, this notable prisoner's story. Some have said this was a high point in the entire ministry of Paul as he fulfilled Jesus' words in fulfillment of prophecy to preach the gospel to kings and rulers, as Jesus said his disciples and Paul would do. But even in him... And yet, even in him remaining under imprisonment to go to Rome, he would have great opportunity in preaching the gospel. In chains, the chains did not matter to him, for he would even use these chains to glorify and exalt his Savior. Let's read now from Acts 26, Paul's story before Agrippa. Please follow along. And we'll be taking lots of breaks, so today might be a little bit different. As we take lots of breaks to give commentary and talk about scripture. Starting with this. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. What a great opportunity Paul had here. We talked about this last week. And he uses it to proclaim Christ, the good news of salvation from sin through Jesus as Lord. And the prophesied Messiah fulfilled. Paul starts... With stretching out his arm, his hand. Not just as a great public speaker engaging his audience, but as a motion of respect for the king. The king is Paul's focus here. And the goal? To win him to Christ. Paul says in verse 2, I consider myself fortunate that is before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Little did he know they wasn't just making a defense against, against what the Jews had been doing. He wasn't just going to make a defense for him and, his, and his, what he had been doing. He was going to make a defense for the hope that was within him. I'm sure Paul did feel very fortunate. It says, I consider myself fortunate to be before you. I'm sure Paul did feel fortunate to be before King Agrippa. Paul had been slandered by certain Jews from Asia and then attacked in the temple. Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin for a hearing and was unjustly struck physically just as he began to make his defense. Knowing he would not get a fair hearing, he still loudly proclaimed that he was in prison because of this, his hope in the resurrection. Paul did not shy away from the issues at hand. There are plots for his murder, and yet still, Paul proclaimed Christ and the truth of the resurrection and the hope found through our Lord. And yet now, he's fortunate to be before this king. He'll be able to tell his story without this same fear, and instead, an open ear from the king, his sister, acting queen, and a great audience of possibly hundreds. Paul dreamed for such moments. Paul prayed for such moments. And verse Three. Well, let's start back at verse 2. It says this. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. 
especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me carefully. Apparently, this king Agrippa prided himself in his knowledge of Old Testament law, customs, controversies of the Jews. And Paul would use this to try to help him see reason, to see reason to believe. Paul starts to defend, but not by debating his innocence. He preaches a great sermon. Some would say the greatest sermon ever preached of God's workings in one's life. His testimony or story of salvation from sin through coming to trust in Jesus as Lord. And he knows that details matter. So he starts at the beginning. His life before Christ. He says in verse 4. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time. If they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion I have lived as a Pharisee. You see, Paul was not some half-devoted, half-dedicated teacher just trying to make a paycheck, clock in, clock out. He was a follower of Jewish customs and ways all the way. He makes it known that it is well known how strict of a follower he was and is to God today. This is a powerful, powerful story. If such a devoted man to the Jewish ways could be converted and see truth in the ways of Christ the Messiah... Why should others doubt so? Let's continue. He says in verse 6, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews. O king. O king. Again, he's addressing the king, not the audience, not Festus, not Bernice. He's addressing the king. And here Paul starts to reason with King Agrippa's knowledge of prophecy, of promises and law, of Jewish controversies. And why should they not see what was happening before them? Paul had seen it. Also, why doubt God's power to do what Paul was proclaiming? The Jews prayed to God and worshipped day and night that he would fulfill these promises. And yet now they doubt. They already believed in a resurrection. They just had to believe in the resurrection. Verse 8 continues. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead, he says. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. Paul continues on with his before Christ story as he's working his way up to how Christ came to save him. But he's talking about just how bad of a sinner he was. And if God could save him, he can save any. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. You see, Paul, then known as Saul, was a great persecutor, a terrorist to Christians. And yet even he would come to know truth. Paul goes on and says, I not only locked up Many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest. But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. In enraging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This is an extreme obsession to make someone suffer. He did not simply take advantage of circumstances he found himself in. 
But he went out looking for fights with Christians in foreign cities. Paul was on a mission. But Christ would flip this mission around and use his great passion for God's glory instead of oppression of his people. A new mission. As one pastor once stated, a revolution had taken place in Paul's life. He had trusted religion, but when he trusted in Jesus Christ, he got rid of all of his religion for a relationship. Paul continues here. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest at midday. O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Here Paul transitions from sharing his before Christ's life part of his story to now his conversion experience and how Christ changed his life forever on the Damascus road. But notice verse 14, what it says next. And when we had all fallen to the ground, all fallen to the ground, Paul apparently was not alone in seeing this great light. This was not a private spectacle of light, but a very public one. And he says, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a bit of explanation is needed here. We don't use language like this today. To kick against the goads may sound odd. Goads were sharp sticks. Sharp sticks used to prod and direct an animal. So Paul was kicking against the Lord's discipline and direction. Paul was resisting the Spirit's conviction and guidance upon his life, especially during Stephen's great speech and his martyrdom for the faith. Jesus was telling Paul to stop rejecting his call, stop, stop rejecting his direction, stop forcing himself against the goads and follow me, follow Christ as Lord and in persecution of his people. Serve Jesus as diligently as he served against him. Jesus is saying, stop fighting me. And submit to me, serve me, follow me. Paul goes on with the story of his conversion. And here comes the climax of the story. The climax, Christ's calling of Paul. You see, not just conversion. As powerful and life transforming as that is. But also a life dedicated to service. A commissioning of Paul is here. And verse 15 says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said... Wow, the Lord replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. You see, Paul is told to rise and stand for Christ. And all Christians are to bow before Christ, but also stand for Christ. As we being on mission serve him and his will. And Christ, Paul, Christ says to Paul now, For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant. And witness to the things in which you have seen me. And to those in which I will appear to you. Verse 17 continues. And delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. To whom I am sending you to. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here we transition to Paul's life after bowing before the Lord. His life as a Christian, but 
do not just skip over without seeing this powerful thought and statement that through Christ we go from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Therefore, O King Agrippa, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. Paul knew after his conversion and commission that the message of the gospel was needed for all. All the people, great and small, are in need of Christ, and the message is the same for them all. He would share this news with them all, and not one of them is beyond reach of Christ. Here Paul begins to also point to the need for Christ of Agrippa and those in his immediate presence as well. Only through trusting Christ as Lord, the resurrected Lord, might one receive new life and a living hope. Service to Christ gains attention, though, and sometimes bad attention, as people do not like to like change or giving up their selfish desires and ways. Paul explains, but also points to God's continual provision through these issues, even through the persecution all throughout his converted life. Verse 21 continues on. As it says, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Wow. Saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, and yet they did not believe. That the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. But Paul said in reply, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. Notice that Paul starts out his defense today in gentleness and respect. And he continues to preach in love with gentleness and respect. But in doing so, he does not deny truth or fail to proclaim it. Paul here could have gotten angry with Festus. He could have lost his cool, and I'm sure Festus wanted this. But Paul continues to speak with respect to the king. He does not go off mission. As he says, but I am speaking true and rational words. And now Paul begins his evangelistic appeal to Agrippa and those who hear his story. You see, we must always include a challenge in your story. A challenge to follow Jesus. And he says, For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. To him. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? You see... Agrippa was almost persuaded. We talked about this last week. But being almost a Christian does not save. All must be fully devoted followers of Christ as Lord to be saved from hell and eternity with Satan. Paul goes on. Yes, he says, basically, yes. Whether short or long, I would to God. I wish before God, some translations say. I plead with God. I pray to God. I wish before God. That not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. 
Paul wanted all to come to know Christ. But as a good brother in Christ, he does not will for all to be in chains like he is. But we must expect it to be a possible reality. Paul had been beaten and persecuted by Jews, ridiculed by the Romans. But he still wants all to know Jesus. How far will you go for Jesus? Then the king arose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And that's the end of our scripture today. But before working to close, I must add, regarding this verse we just read, that I believe it no mistake on Paul's part appealing to Caesar. Yes, he deserves freedom. He had done nothing wrong. But Paul had a desire to go to Rome and have opportunity to preach to Gentiles of the mystery of Christ. And he is going to Rome now. Christ will not only be glorified, but also proclaimed to believers. It is no mistake, for this is the will of God being made known. Okay, we must move fast now to application. Now that we have had proper commentary or exposition of the scriptures. And these will come from the initial big idea we read in 1 Peter 3, but also from our reading today, starting with this first. We must honor Christ with our dealings with unbelievers. Paul's Damascus Road story is ultimately a story about Jesus, not one of Paul. Tell of Jesus' workings in your life. Tell of the wonderful power of the blood of Christ. Tell of the power of the resurrection. Secondly, as we move fast through these, secondly, address unbelievers in love with gentleness and respect. What we say is often more important than how we say it. But God still desires us to say and do things in love. For sometimes people will not listen without first seeing our actions being of compassion and care. We must blend truth in with compassion, boldness, and respect. Three, in your story, include what it was like to not believe. Even those who are saved at a young age can speak of living hopelessly. Or speak to what an early salvation saved you from. Because now you understand what you have. Four, share the power of Christ to change your life. Bring new life, a new identity, and hope. True hope for eternity. In your story, be sure to include Christ's workings. Details matter. Remember that from the beginning of this message today. Remember that from Paul's story Details matter, but in your details, do not bore. Do not overly focus on yourself. And listen up here. Do not glorify the sin. Do not glorify the sin. Five, be purposed to glorify and honor Christ, not self. Keep Jesus the hero of your story. I cannot emphasize that enough. Keep Jesus the hero of your story. Six, Share of your life since Christ. A life of love and service for Jesus. Living according to his righteous ways. Can you not honestly claim those things? Then reevaluate your faith. Reevaluate your allegiance. Reevaluate who is lording over your life. You will struggle. We all will. We all do. But we need not be controlled by these things. Allow others to help you. 
Share of your struggles, but also share of how Christ continues to guide and assist you. Seven, don't forget the evangelistic challenge. What good is sharing your story if you do not challenge them to consider their own story and bow to Christ as Lord? Repent, turn away from sin, turn away from unrighteous behaviors and ways, and be saved for all eternity. Preach the death of Christ, but always emphasize the resurrection. Our Savior is not dead. He's alive. It has been said that there are over 4,000 religions in the world, but only Christianity preaches an empty tomb and victory over sin, death, and salvation for our souls for eternity based upon grace, not works. Eight, we only have two more. Pray for unbelievers, those you share your story with, to receive the true and eternal hope that salvation through Christ brings. Don't just deliver the message, pray for the message. Don't just deliver the message. Pray for the message. Paul, in the end, said to Agrippa and the crowd that he wished before God them to have what he had except the chains. We must have evangelistic hearts before our Lord night and day pleading for others' salvations. Even kings and persecutors of our loved ones, we must pray for them. Nine, rely on help that comes from God. God continued to provide for Paul throughout all these persecutions, all these imprisonments, all these struggles. We must have faith in the Lord to grant you help. To make his grace known to the broken and seeking world which surrounds us all. May our testimonies give them hope. May our testimonies deliver them to Jesus. In closing, I just want you to remember what we said last week. All Christians have opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with people who might never go to church or listen to a pastor to hear it. You have powerful stories written upon your life by God himself as your master storyteller. Tell your story. Tell the story of the hope that is within you. Let's close in prayer now. Lord, we thank you for the stories we have. We thank you for you saving us from our sins, Lord, and creating a place for us in heaven with you and the Father. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that live within us to give us guidance, understanding of your word, and to yearn on our behalf to help sanctify us to be more like Jesus. Lord, we thank you for we are never alone nor forsaken. And Lord, we pray now as we discover our stories, that we would share our stories too. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray. Amen.